want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here, and we're glad that you're here. If you're a visitor today, we're so happy that you're uh, with us. If you're coming back today, uh, after a while, we're glad that you're back. Um, if you're a visitor, make sure you ask us any questions uh, that you like, and we want to make sure that you feel welcome here. I've got a couple of announcements, and I want to make sure um, that I share something with you every week uh, that we celebrate. So a couple of announcements. One, did y'all see the scouts collecting in the parking lot over here? Um, that is the son of our Troop 107 uh, director. His name's Stephen. He spoke to traditional worship last week and contemporary. They're collecting gently used items from a number of different areas. They'll be here till one. So if you forgot and, and want to run home and you live fairly close and um, can run home and come back, please do so and, and you can bring them uh, anything that you like. Um, uh, I mentioned something last week that I want to make sure that you understand um, because of a couple calls that we got to the office. Um, over however long it takes, whether it's three months or five months or six months, I'm going to meet with every one of you that wants to meet in groups of 10 or 12. And what I want to do in those meetings is hear about um, your story with Memorial, um, your favorite parts about Memorial, and your dreams for Memorial. So when I shared that last week to um, both worship services, we had a couple calls to the office that they wanted to make sure that I was that they were in the 10 or 12 people that I asked. It's, it's not going to be 10 or 12 people. It's going to be groups of 10 or 12 until it's done. And uh, it's not complicated, and it's not going to be a test, but it gives me a chance to um, meet with y'all and, and, and get to know anything uh, that you would like me to know um, before we start thinking about what we're going to do in the future. Um, something to celebrate today, Leanna Morris spoke to y'all, I believe it's two weeks ago, um, about her going on the mission trip. And if you are on Facebook and saw Leanne and, and are friends with her, you can see her smiling face. Um, she's having a tremendous time. If you're not on Facebook, you need to know that she's having a great time um, in her mission trip. And uh, uh, I'm certain that we'll have her speak to us uh, when she gets back. Um, another thing to celebrate, um, We've added more chairs in contemporary worship, so we're continuing to grow in, in um, both services. I'm very excited about that. Um, any more? I don't know if there are any more announcements. I believe that's everything. So let's, um, uh, again, welcome uh, to Memorial. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning in which we come together to worship. We thank you for a space in which we can gather that's away from the heat. And we consider those who cannot go away from the heat this morning or this summer. We ask for your presence with them and that we may be your hands and feet in helping them. Guide us in reading the text today, in singing our songs today, in our prayers, in our words with our children, in our scripture and proclamation, that they may all guide us to your message for us this day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our first hymn, number 67. <clears throat> Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Can we have the children come forward for the children's moments? And while they're doing that, I invite you to sign the registers on the end of your pew and to pass them down and to give them to the ushers.
Good morning. Y'all doing good? Good. Okay, I brought a beautiful plant with me today. What do you think? Does it look good? It doesn't look good? No, it doesn't? Okay. Well, what's wrong with it? Yeah, well, I think it's already dead, but yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. We um, went to the beach last week and this didn't get any water all week, so it just decided it would wither up and die, okay? So this is going to be um, an example. What about the flowers up there? What do they look like? Yeah, they're really pretty, right? Okay, so those are really nice and lush and beautiful and growing, okay? And this is not really, all right? So we're going to look at this. Okay, today in um, the verses that we're going to talk about, um, it's, there's going to be righteous people and wicked people. Okay, and the righteous people are going to be like those up there. Okay, and the wicked people are going to be like this in here. Sound good? Okay. All right. Let's listen to what the, the Bible has to tell us, what God has to tell us about the righteous. Well, let me, let me ask you a question before we do that. If you are a righteous per person, what do you think is a good description of that? If you're righteous. You, mm -hmm, you believe in God, you love God, okay? And you follow his commands, okay? You follow his rules, just like you follow the rules at your house or in your, in your classroom, that kind of thing. You follow his rules and you love him. So if you're a wicked person, what do you think that they do? Don't believe in God. Yeah, they don't believe. They don't believe. They don't follow his commands. They might hurt other people, that kind of thing. Okay, so that's what a wicked person does. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And then he changed, yep. All right, so what we're going to talk about today, there's three, verse, three verses that we're going to talk about from Psalm 1. The first one says, blessed is the one who does not walk in, thank you very much, walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now there's a bunch of big words in there, okay? But basically what it says is, blessed is the one who does not hang out with the wicked people, okay? My son's helping us too. All right, so that does not hang out with the wicked people. Got it? That's what that one's telling us. All right, the next one says, but who's, the person is blessed whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. What do you think meditate means? What do you do when you meditate on something? <laughs> you go, mm, yeah. Yeah, but what are you doing when you're, you're thinking about it, right? You're thinking about it really hard. Just that one thing is what you're thinking about. And what God wants us to do is meditate on his law day and night. So how often should we do it? Day and night. Day and night. All the time, right? All the time. So he wants us to meditate, to focus, to think about, all right? To think about him, his love, and his laws, his rules, okay? And if we do that, here's what's going to happen, all right? That person that does that is like a tree or like those flowers planted by streams of water. What, does, what happens when a tree has water? It grows. It grows. And if it's like an apple tree or something, it's going to give you fruit. And the leaves, what do they do? They become big and green and they don't look like what? They do not wither. Flower yep, They flower. They have flowers, right? And that whatever they do prospers. Do you know what prosper means? I know that's another big word. Whatever they do is good. Okay? Prospers. They go forward. All right? So a person who loves God is like a big strong tree or like those beautiful flowers. All right, so we want to imagine ourselves like great big trees with lots of leaves. What color are leaves? Green, big leaves, right? And it is wonderful to love him and to think about his words. They do change colors, yes. Sometimes we'll have orange leaves and yellow leaves, right? And purple leaves. And purple leaves, right. <laughs> All right, so there's a lot of life when we take care and meditate about and follow God's laws, right? So do we want to be a righteous person or a wicked person? Righteous. A righteous person. Does that sound good? Can you guys pray with me? All right. Dear Lord, 
Thank you so much for giving us your law. Thank you so much for giving us your law. To meditate on. To meditate on. Amen. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. to God, sing praise to God, sing praise to God who reigns above, sing praise to God who reigns above, sing praise to God who reigns above, sing praise to God who reigns above. Yeah. 
Let us pray. Gracious God, you know that two of the deepest emotions we can feel that cause pain are dread and regret. When you are nudging us or when someone directly asks us or when we know in our mind clearly that we should do something but we dread it, it's a powerful feeling. Even worse, when we feel regret, when dread stopped us. When we look back and think we could have done more. Help us to hear the text today of your pursuit of Jonah and your persistence that he should drop his dread, that he should forget his regret, and that he should move on and proclaim your name. Teach us as the people of Nineveh learned that there are always opportunities. We pray for those who cannot be with us. And we pray for those amongst us feeling intense pain, that they may know your presence and that we may be your hands and feet with them. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time to give our tithes and other offerings. I'll remind you that uh, Don has adjusted what he does. He's added to it uh, so that we can hear more beautiful music to give the ushers a time to come forward. So as he does that, you just do what I do and watch when the choir stands up. That's when we stand up.
Please be seated. I'm going to borrow a couple minutes from my sermon uh, that I'll cut out um, for you all to look at your bulletin. I want you to look at the part that has the worship order in it. And look in the top left corner. And you'll see 8th Sunday after Pentecost. So that's a phrase that has to do with using what's called the Revised Common Lectionary. The lectionary is a pattern of choosing Scripture for churches that have gone on for centuries. And it's, the, it's a, um, a model of choosing an, a text from uh, the law and the history in the beginning, the Psalms, the Gospel, and a letter. Some churches, uh, like the Catholic Church and an Episcopal Church, will read all four readings every worship service. And in many cases, these readings have something to do with one another, and they have to do with the season. It's a three-year cycle, A, B, and C. And in year A, you celebrate Matthew. In year B, you celebrate, who you figure? Mark. And in year C, you celebrate Luke. ABC. Um, John is not considered a synoptic gospel, meaning his story doesn't line up exactly the way Matthew and Mark's do. And so John is um, scattered throughout all three, especially on big Sundays. The upside of having the lectionary is it gives you a structure for your day, for your picking the text. If somebody, um, if you ever work out and you go to a gym and you see a person only doing arms, that's all they're ever doing when you go there. And their arms are enormous, but nothing else is fit. If you don't use the lectionary, sometimes you focus too much on a particular text. And ministers can be bad about only focusing on the text that they like or reinforce their thought or whatever. The downside of using the lectionary is how familiar it can become. And you say, okay, okay we're doing this text again. So upside, downside to both. Um, I've been thinking about the way that I'll pick Scripture for both services. They'll be exactly the same, the Scripture that we have in both contemporary and traditional. And so I picked Jonah to give me a month to breathe to see how we're going to pick the texts. So um, at least for a year, I'm not going to use the lectionary as the way that we pick Scripture. And so you won't see 8th Sunday after Pentecost anymore in that slot starting in August. What we're going to do for a year is focused on a book for a season or for a month. And so it won't be the book that is the source of the sermon. It'll be the theme of the book that helps us pick the Scripture from the Bible that is that series. And so people, the two most prolific writers, or two of the most, in United Methodist thought in our nation are Adam Hamilton, who's in an enormous traditional uh, church in Kansas City, uh, Leewood, Kansas, actually, and uh, Mike Slaughter, who's in a rather uh, non-traditional church in Ohio. Both of them prolific writers. Both of them uh, celebrate each other both of them couldn't be any more different. They could not be any more different, their personalities. But their impact on the community, their um, dynamic worship, that sort of thing. Uh, so we're going to use books that um, they've written. So if you're the type of person that reads books, which I have to fight my, I have to really get myself to do it, like exercise, then you're going to see that this week we're going to be talking about a theme that's in pages 15 to 37. It has implications for what you do in your small groups or what you do in your Sunday school classes. Should you choose, you could read along with what we're doing and it inform what you do in your groups as well. But you keep doing what you do in your small groups in the way that you've done it to this point. But we'll be setting up what we do each week. You'll see what we're going to do the next week. So in August, we're going to look at a book by Adam Hamilton called Why. It's one of the thinnest books you'll ever see. It's one of the most powerful books you'll ever read because it has to do with why do tough things happen to us? What are we supposed to think when a storm just slams into a city? What are we supposed to think when our dear friend who's never done anything but take care of their body gets ill? 
you know, that, those sorts of questions. And so if you go home today and you Google why by Adam Hamilton, you'll see what we're going to be talking about in August. And each month prior to the month, I'll be talking about what we'll talk about the next month. Maybe times will go five, six weeks. So when you see um, here in the bulletin, it'll say where we're going with that book um, in the next week or the next month. So way we're picking scripture. Jonah chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 1. Um, that is on page 1438 in your pew Bible. And I use, is that right? Yeah, 14. How can that be right? Anyway, that must be right. 1443 is what we're hearing. Sources have confirmed it's on page 1443 in your Bible. No. What do we have out there, people? 1438. All right. <laughs> Multiple sources have confirmed that it may be on page 1438 in your Bible if you want to follow along, or you can listen to me say things. Those are your choices. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So why do we have to say things more than once? Okay, um, people aren't listening. Why? Well, we'd rather talk than listen. You have way more control that way. You think. You can't imagine how much um, power and control there is, not in like a vindictive way, but in a um, helpful way. Um, to listen to another person, but we figure if we're the one talking, we can control it. Um, the second reason we're distracted. I searched this week, why, do pe why are people distracted when they're listening? And I found an interesting uh, statistic. We can talk around 200 to 250 words per minute. We can listen 300 to 500 words per minute. So the person talking has to be thinking through their process. Some people slow it down. Some people pause for effect. And as you're doing all that, the person's brain is thinking 400 words a minute and the person's thoughts are only going 250 words per minute. And so you start getting out ahead of them. I can't believe I'm telling you this and giving you a reason to do it, but it is a fact. <laughs> you start getting out ahead of them. You start anticipating what they're gonna say. Three, people disagree. Maybe it's your animal that disagrees and doesn't listen. We've never had a dog before. We had a cat for 14 years. We knew that was just part of the deal. Cats just don't listen. They don't care. It's, you, it's their world that you happen to be living in. But a dog, you think, there's potential that this animal might listen. So we've had a dog since August. His name's Baxter. He's a dachshund basset mix. We got him from the Humane Society. And we'll say, Baxter, come. And if he is into it, he comes over. And if he's not into it, he'll go, eh. <coughs> no, I want to do that. Or we'll say, Baxter, stay. No. And if we don't have some sort of currency that is some sort of meat, he's not going to think about it as much as if you do. So we might disagree. So any number of reasons why people are not listening the first time. So you notice in verse 1 it says he says to him a second time. That's because in chapter 1 he told him the exact same thing. Go to the great city of Nineveh and tell them it's going to be 40 days or there's going to be trouble. And Jonah said, don't want to do that. He got on a boat. There was a storm. They threw him in the water. He was swallowed by fish. In the fish he prays. You are so merciful. You're so graceful, God. And I'm so thankful for your mercy in this moment. Very much like one of the two choices a child has in time out. Either repentance and saying, I'm so sorry, or uh, explosion, double down, make it worse than what they were doing. But there's a chance they're going to say, I'm so sorry. In the whale of fish, he says, I'm so sorry. He's given another, another opportunity and God says for the second time, go to the great city of Nineveh. 
It says, Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So, numbers, 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 numbers matter. What two numbers did you hear there? Do you see there? Forty and three. The city takes three days to go through it. Anybody else do anything for three days? Joan, uh, uh, Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Forty more days that you've got to change or there's going to be problems. How many people did something for 40 days? A lot of people. The number 40 shows up all the time and in many cases it's about deep reflection or thought or being, wander, or being lost, wandering. It's a time of um, introspection due to circumstances that are beyond your control that are causing you to set everything else aside. Jonah goes in the city for one day and he says, everything has to change here. Now, if you think, well, of course you'd listen to him because he's coming from God. Well, think about um, you're, you're leaving here. You go to the grocery store on Sunday afternoons. You go to the grocery store. You go to Walmart. You go to Bilo. You go to any one of those places. And there's a person as you are walking past them that says the end is coming. And if you don't repent right now here with me, you will not be a part of it. What would you do with that person? You go to the other door. <laughs> you would. You'd go to, you would likely go to the other door. I've been very fortunate to go with um, dear friends to the Masters. And when you go to the Masters at Augusta National at the gate, there are people there with enormous posters of uh, uh, impending doom. And you think to yourself, nah, probably not. Because if you believed what was on that poster, you wouldn't be walking in to watch what was going to happen on number 10 for the next eight hours. You would go and do something about the impending doom. But you see those people and you think, eh, I don't know. And you struggle with it. But Jonah goes and he says, uh, 40 more days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And they believed him in one day. In only one day. Now, let me tell you why Nineveh should not pay attention. Nineveh was an important junction for commercial routes crossing the Tigris. It was the highway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean, thus uniting east and west. It received wealth from every way. And it became one of the greatest of all regions, uh, of the region's ancient cities and the capital of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. We got no reason to listen to anybody. You realize how powerful we are? we are? You realize how successful we are? You realize how significant we are? There's no way this is going away. We're everything to this region. Yet they listened. Why in the world did they listen? It's hard to imagine any reason for them to listen. But they did. What's even crazier is verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. So if you don't think a city's going to listen, this massive successful city, why in the world would the king listen? Why do kings have to listen to anybody? In many cases, in many different realms, in many different centuries, all over the planet, kings listened to no one until they died or someone assaulted their nation and took them out. Or, I guess, one of their own people. No reason to listen. Let me give you three quick examples. David and Nathan. King David, uh, a total war hero, uh, a solid politician, but struggled personally. And when he made poor decisions, 
Nathan would have to go to him and tell him about those four decisions and call him to change his ways, his thoughts, his actions, his words. You know how hard that would be for Nathan? For this most powerful man? Well, how hard is it for you to tell someone to stop chewing with their mouth open? How hard is it for you to tell someone to stop leaving their plate on the couch? To stop um, leaving when they change the white paper to color paper and the printer in the office to change it back to white? We don't want to confront people, even over the smallest things. And a lot of times we'll just let that build and build and build and build and build and build until we blow up at them about something that has nothing to do with the reason you're so angry. We just can't stand it. We'd rather just do it ourselves. But Nathan has no choice. As a prophet, he's got to speak to King David and tell him, I need you to change your behavior. Pretty um, mutually beneficial relationship of respect between those two. Elijah and Ahab. King Ahab's father had negotiated ways for their nation to prosper and to surround themselves with other nations in ways through marriage that they would be okay politically and financially. And if you're okay politically and financially, you don't have to worry about anything else. The problem was when he made those arranged marriages, Ahab is married to a woman who believes totally opposite things than the people of Israel do, the people of the one God. She believes in totally different things, and she'd love to persuade the entire nation to change. What does Elijah do? He's got to say something to King Ahab. King Ahab tells Jezebel, almost in a way like a four-year-old telling their mom, I'm telling. Jezebel gets heated and makes Elijah run for his very life. We'll make that a series sometimes. fun. Worse than that, Herod Antipas, one of um, uh, uh, controlling a region, one of four controlling regions, marries his brother's wife. John the Baptist doesn't care for it. He doesn't care for the way that it was conducted, and he doesn't care for the implications of it. And he has to say to the king, you've got to do something about it. He tells Herod. Herod tells his wife. His new wife is beyond heated and says that I want John the Baptist gone forever. Ultimately leads to the loss of his life. So what do you think the odds are of it working out to be a prophet to tell people something that they are doing that needs to change? Slim. Those are their people. What do you think the odds are of you going to another nation and telling that nation y'all need to change how that's going to work out? Slim. But the people listen. The people change enough that the king hears about it. The king is so moved that he changes and says, we've got to change everything here and all the animals and issue a decree that they should um, be covered. Verse 8. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? That's solid belief, isn't it? But that's something we do all the time. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring the destruction He had threatened. So, the most reluctant prophet there ever was defied the greatest odds there ever were to go to a nation and change them on behalf of God to follow God. Therefore, when you feel that nudge, when you feel that opportunity, um, uh, I, I think in most cases with us, it's to reach out to that person in love and care. When you think, I've lost every opportunity, when you think, God has lost every opportunity with me. I have no opportunity to change. Think of this text that we read today and how quickly it can all turn around and we can follow God with our whole heart. Now, what's interesting is what the reaction is going to be in chapter 4 next week.
what Jonah's reaction to this amazing story will be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great stories that you share with us of triumph in the face of total adversity. And we ask that you help us to make this our story, that we may reach out to others with our thoughts, with our words, with our action, with your pursuing love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Final hymn, number 581. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and power and presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.